Let's turn to Psalm 144. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be turning to several Bible verses. So stay with me. I haven't preached at a Friday fire in a while. So I'm going to bring it tonight. So you just better be, you just better be able to keep up. I'm not slowing down for anybody tonight. All right. And I, I notice there's not that many guests here tonight with us. I'm glad. Because we're going to go into it. Psalm 144, verse 1. If you are a guest, God bless you. Psalm 144, verse 1. Let's read the word of the Lord together. One, two, three. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Hallelujah. Somebody say, blessed be the Lord. He is my rock. He trains my hands for war. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, in the, in the movie Saving Private Ryan, I remember, I think the sniper was reciting certain verses as he was, you know, you know taking out Nazi soldiers. And I think, I think he, he, he recited this verse. It's a real cool verse. You know, he's like sniping away and he's shooting down all these Nazi soldiers. He's like, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to train your hands for war. Amen? The Lord wants to train your hands for war because the Lord is raising up an army. And as I look out, <coughs> when I look out into the nations, I look around the, uh, around the church around me, I see God raising up his army in three ways. I'm just going to go over this with you guys just to kind of give you some insight about what I see. I think it's important for us to understand this so that we can take part in not only being his army, but raising up his army. Amen? Yeah. <coughs> I mean, there's people that just, they want to, I'll join the army. And then there's other people like, I'll join the army and I'll raise up, I'll do some recruiting for you, Lord. Hallelujah. So if you can understand these three insights, it will help you to help really recruit for the army of God. Three ways he's doing that. Number one, he's waking up the church. There's one word that best sums this up. Renewal. Renewal. (coughs) Uh, If you guys remember in history... There was something called the Reformation. After a period of very dark ages where, where the church was full of corruption and people did not get the word of God because it was just in Latin. It wasn't in the common language. There came a time in the 1500s where God brought what was called a Reformation. And the effects of the Reformation can be felt not only in the church but in secular society. You will not have the internet, you will not have all this technology today if it wasn't for the Reformation. And this Reformation was an awakening of the church to the power of God's Word. Okay, that's what this Reformation did. Martin Luther, John Calvin, these guys, they went back to the Word of God, these original manuscripts, and they brought out these doctrines of salvation, these doctrines that really brought the power of God's Word and and, and reformed, and it was called the Reformation. Hallelujah. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, God started to do a new movement. And that's called the Renewal. And the Renewal is an awakening of the church to the power of God's Spirit. Alright, if you look in 1900s, there was the first wave. It's called Pentecostalism. Right? You got... Welsh revivals. You got the Azusa Street revival in California. You even have the Pyongyang revival here in, 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 in Korea, in Pyongyang. Hallelujah. And through that first wave of outpouring, God brought a renewal of the power of God's Spirit into the church. And then if you look a little bit later in the 50s and 60s, God brought a second wave, and that's called the Charismatic Movement. During that second wave, God touched a lot of mainline denominations, Lutherans, Episcopalians, some Presbyterians, but not so much. It was mostly like mainline and some evangelical churches, denominations. 
All right, and that was a second wave. And hallelujah, praise God, because God didn't stop there. He brought a third wave. And people don't really know how to date these things very conveniently, but you know, let's just say it started around the 80s, right? 80s and 90s. This third wave comes, hallelujah, and it touches just like everyone and anyone. And this is where, you know, what we are seeing and experiencing today. Uh, you know, Peter Wagner, he's the one uh, who coined the term third wave, third wavers. And uh, probably our church will probably be best uh, categorized as a church that is being influenced by the third wave movement of, the, of this, uh, this third wave movement. Hallelujah. But this whole thing, the, all three waves, it can be summed up in the word renewal. Hallelujah. So God is raising up an army by waking up the church. Uh, he's not converting lost people. He's not getting backsliders. You know, he's just renewing people who are already in the church. And uh, Romans thirteen eleven says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Amen? Amen? The church needs to wake up from their sleep, their slumber. And that's what God's doing through the renewal. He's just really waking up the church. doesn't matter what denomination you represent. If you look in, in my dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic movements, I mean, the total is like, in the year 2000, there were 532 million members of the renewal movement, of renewal churches. 532, half a billion people in the world in the year 2000. This is about 10 years ago, by the way. Or part of some kind of renewal church. Pentecostalism or whatever, right? And, and the biggest is actually the third wave. Smallest is the first wave. Next biggest is the second. Third wave is by far the biggest. Hallelujah. And it's projected by the year 2025 by moderate estimates that it's going to topple 811 million. And that's just if it goes at a moderate pace. Hallelujah. I mean, we are about to see a billion soul church on the earth at one point. And you know what, God's, sadly, it's, it's not happening through the churches that were awakened at the Reformation, the denominations that were born out of the Reformation. It's happening through every denomination in which God is renewing. Hallelujah. It's not a denominational thing. It really is a kingdom thing, brothers and sisters. So first way, he's raising up an army. He's, he's bringing renewal. Number two, <coughs> he's bringing slaves out of Egypt. He's bringing slaves out of Egypt. Let me explain what that means. God is bringing deliverance for slaves, for backsliders, for prodigal sons. That's the second way in which I can see God raising up an army. Exodus 12.51 On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Or in the King James Version, it says, by their armies. Hallelujah. So second way I see God raising up an army, He's just getting the backslider. He's getting the prodigal son to come home. Now let's go third way. Third way he's raising up an army is he is breathing life into a valley of dry bones. And by this I mean salvation. God's raising up an army by just saving people. I mean this is probably a major way in which he's building up the army. He's just saving people. Muslims, Hindus, anybody. He's just breathing life into a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37.10 says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Hallelujah. What Ezekiel saw in that valley, God is fulfilling, and we are physically seeing today. I don't think a lot of us understand that. These dry bones, they were dead. These aren't backsliders. These aren't people asleep. They are dead. That means they're lost. They're not. They're disconnected from God. And through salvation, God's raising a mighty army right now. These three ways. Hallelujah. Practically, how do we see God doing this around us? Number one, <coughs> through the renewal, I believe uh, this is the reason why we're going to Australia. Do you know what the retreat theme for New Life Communities, the summer, I'm not, it's their winter retreat. <coughs> their college camp, what they call their college camp. I don't know why they call it camp. It's not like they go camping there or anything like that. Um, but do you know what the theme is? Pastor Joshua, he, he wrote me. And you know what their theme is? No. It's Battlefield. 
Okay. Isn't that prophetic? God sending an army this time. This, the last time was just two of us. This time he's sending an army, a troop. And where are they going? We're going to a retreat called Battlefield. Why? Because we're going to go in there. We're going to fight Satan and his forces. And we're going to set people free. And we're going to bring a renewal to that church. <clears throat> this is the reason why Andreas Bisoni, we hosted his crusades. What did Andreas Bisoni do? For most people, it gave them a touch and a feeling of the spirit for the very first time in their lives. And that, that woman from Tegu and that Moksanim from the countryside, they were just so excited. Why? Because their Christianity, they had never experienced these things. And God's bringing in renewal through guys like Andres Bisoni. This is the reason why we have the Kingdom First prayer movement. Right? What is OEM experiencing right now? They're experiencing renewal. They're experiencing the Holy Spirit the way the church should be experiencing Him. And they're loving it. They're on fire and they're passionate for God. They want, they want more. Because there's so many people there that need, to be, that need to be touched and renewed in this way. <clears throat> so it's real clear. You look around us, God's raising up an army, by the way. And through all this renewal, it's not just to make you feel good. Not just to assure your salvation. It's so that you can get up on your feet and be a mighty army. Amen. Second way, deliverance. This is why we got to be patient. Not give up on backslidden family members, friends. And we got to involve ourselves in things like healing and deliverance. Okay, When you involve yourself in healing and deliverance, you take the time to minister to someone's deepest wounds and set them free from their secret sins. He who's been forgiven much loves much. If you can get the prodigal son to come home, man, that prodigal son will be most loyal. And that's why we have my wife, and Mina, and David Pio, and Caleb. These are like prodigal sons. Like you look at Columbia Brian, he's not a prodigal son. I mean, you know, he's, you know, he just even keel, you know, he's just been serving the Lord as much as, you know, he's been pretty faithful most of his life. But you look at Caleb's life, man, he just got messed up. He got involved with some bad stuff. You know, and you know his full, I mean, man, but God is using, he's, he's, he's bringing them home. <laughs> he's using deliverance to raise up an army. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and you know when God, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, that was the same purpose. God was trying to turn slaves into soldiers. He was trying to turn wimps into warriors. He was trying to bring them out of Egypt to be an army. That's why God told them, you got to get ready to start fighting. What do people do? They, they won a few victories, but then when it came to going in and fighting their biggest battles in the promised land, in the land across the river, right, in Canaan, what, what they, they got gripped with fear because these guys seemed like giants to them. And the spies, they spread a bad report. And the people refused to fight. The people refused to fulfill their destiny, their identity as an army of God. And what did they do? They died in the desert. Brothers and sisters, God is doing the same thing today. He's setting people free. He's delivering people out of Egypt to raise them up as an army, to go up and fight and take the promised land. You know, when the Israelites saw the armies of Egypt defeated at the Red Sea, do you know what they said? Exodus 12.51, they said, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord Jehovah is his name. Tell your neighbor that. The Lord is a man of war. It just means he's a warrior. The Lord's a warrior. You know, and that's a big blow to pacifists that, you know, that, that are afraid to you know, get involved with war and all this stuff. God is a man of war, the Bible says. You know, people, people, they always talk about, I want to become mature and become like Christ. I want to become like Christ. And they think that becoming like Christ simply means being patient, gentle, loving. You know, I want to be like Christ. And those things are true. But if you're going to be like Christ in all of his ways, you also need to rise up and learn how to be a warrior. Because the Bible says the Lord is a man of war. When Joshua was approaching Jericho, he saw on this path a man standing there with a drawn sword. 
Joshua asked him, are you for our enemies or are you for us? And this warrior with the sword drawn said, wrong question. Take off your sandals. You see, that's the... Jesus appeared to Joshua on that road. And what Joshua saw is that Jesus is a man of war. He's a warrior. Don't be limited into thinking that only his first coming defines what his true righteousness and characteristics are. You have to also keep in mind his second coming. If you want to really be like Christ, you got to be loving, you got to be gentle, you got to be humble, you got to be submissive. You also got to learn to be bold. For the righteous are as bold as a lion, like the lion of the tribe of Judah. You got to also learn how to be a warrior. Because Jesus is the commander of the army of the Lord. This figure that a prayer to Joshua said, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. That means there's an army. That means there's an army. Hallelujah. And God's raising up that army today. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to become a warrior. Third way uh, in which I can see, you know, we talked about God um, breathing life into valley dry bones. Evangelism. Uh, you know what? We're not seeing this so much at our church yet. But we're about to because there's a whole bunch of crazy people that want to go out. And they, they are scared to death, but they just continue to say it because they're trying to obey the Lord. And they don't really know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. I'm, I'm on Campus Crusade staff. Part of my job is I have to go out to evangelize. And we have to, a lot of times we go out to evangelize and we don't even have the power of the Spirit with us. We believe by faith that He's filling us. But when we go out, man, there's an anointing. I talk to people, they're like, man, get out, get off me, man. And, you know, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Man, no. And I don't want to hear about Jesus. And, you know, can I pray for you? Sure. And I pray for them and then, uh, that was it? Uh, yeah. God bless you, you know. There's no power, you know, but I had to go out. You know, you, you guys don't know how hard it is to go out evangelizing. But you know what? Praise God. Praise God, because as we go out and preach the gospel, preaching the gospel is like prophesying to dry bones. Remember in the valley, God told Ezekiel, prophesy to the dry bones. And Ezekiel must have felt pretty stupid, like this is useless. And you know what? When you go out to evangelize on the street, you're going to feel the same way. You're going to feel like you're talking to dry bones. Because people in the beginning, man, for every hundred people you, you talk to, you might, you might see a response of just a few. But if, you, if you're really moving in the prophetic and, and you get the word of knowledge, all that stuff, man, that could break through real quick. But when that's not there and God's teaching you other things and he doesn't give you a word of knowledge, man, you just need to keep going out. Because it's going to feel like you're prophesying to dry bones. But as you continue to do that, God's going to raise up an army. God's going to raise up an army from the dry bones. Hallelujah. And, you know, and, and on top of that, we don't want to just see the bones rattle and come together and then, and then you know, come together. We got to do what Ezekiel said and prophesy that the breath of God will enter them. And it was only when the breath of God, the spirit of God entered these dry bones that they stood up as a mighty army. <laughs> that means when you evangelize, you don't want to just be like, oh, hallelujah, you're saved now. You're in the kingdom of God. You know, come out to our church. You got on that spot, you'd be like, you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? They'd be like, what's that? Holy Spirit is the third person of God. He'll come. He said he'll come and seal you. He's the deposit, guaranteeing what has come. But you know what? He's also going to empower you because he wants you to be a, a mighty soldier. And they're like, well, I just got saved. But you know what? That doesn't matter. God wants to raise you up. You want to get filled right now? They'd be like, all right, sure. I'm going to lay hands on you. And right there, boom, you pray for them. They fall into the power of God right in the middle of the street. <laughs> you, you think that doesn't happen? You go watch Patricia King's videos. Young people, they just get trained up for the first time. They go out and they see it right away. Because God's just looking for willing vessels. He, might, he may not give it to you all the time. But he'll give it to you if you step out in faith. Right, that's the kind of stuff we got to do. If you want to raise up an army from the lost souls that we win on the streets, make sure you get them baptized with the Spirit on the same day they got saved. Hallelujah. Because that's what Cornelius and his household, they, they experienced. They got simultaneous salvation and the baptism of the Spirit at the same time. And tongues all at the same time. So like, 
You know, Peter was in the middle of his gospel message and they all broke out in tongues because they got saved, filled with the Spirit, and broke out in tongues. That's the stuff we, we, we want to see. Hallelujah. But anyway, in these three ways, God is raising up an army. Hallelujah. So, brothers and sisters, let us be diligent in involving ourselves in these matters. Amen? Yeah. Some people, you know, they say to me, but the church is supposed to be a loving community. The church is the body of Christ. Let's just focus on the body of Christ. Let's just focus on unity and getting the members of the church. You know, it should be about the body. Why army? It's just too, it's just too hardcore. It's too in your face. It's going to turn people away. I think you're wrong. I don't know about this whole army stuff. Church is a bride, not an army. Christian, I think you're off on this. No, you're off. Okay. I know what God's saying, all right? Church is supposed to be all those things as well. But if you look through the scriptures, the church is an army. It's emphasized again and again. <clears throat> you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the first mention of the church when he mentioned the church, he mentioned that she would also be involved in a battle. Check this out, right? Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's that tell you, that verse? It tells us that there will be a battle. It tells us that there will be an effort by the enemy to overcome the church. But it will fail. The Hebrew equivalent of Hades is Sheol. And if you look in Isaiah 38.10, it says that the gates of Sheol, and that's referring to death, the place that you go to death. So Jesus could mean here that the church will never be overcome by death. But a deeper search will bring one to discover that in the Old Testament, the word gate has a very great significance. You see... In the Old Testament, gates usually refer to a place of power and authority. William Willsby said it like this. The elders of the city met at the gates to transact their business. So the phrase, gates of Hades, probably means the very power and authority of Satan. The very authority and power of Satan will not overcome the church. That's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew. Christ promised it, brothers and sisters. In fact, not only will we be kept from being overcome by the power and authority of Satan, the Bible tells us that we will possess the gate of our enemies. Not only will the gates of Hades not overcome the church, but the church will go to the gates of Hades and will possess the gates. We will storm the enemy's gate. We will possess his territory, overcome his power, throw down his authority, and set the captives free. That's what the church is supposed to do, brothers and sisters. And this is what God meant when God told Abraham, Genesis twenty-two seventeen, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Hallelujah. One billion soul harvest we're approaching right now. The stars of heaven. Hallelujah. And as the sand of, as the sand that is on the seashore. And it says, your offspring, Abraham, shall possess the gate of his enemies. Hallelujah. So as it says in Galatians 3.29, we are the offspring of Abraham. Amen? Amen? We, we, are, we are the offspring that is talked about in Genesis 22. And what are the offspring of Abraham supposed to do? They're supposed to possess the gate of their enemies. Hallelujah. Somebody say possess. Possess, possess, the, gate. possess the gate. Man, so many Christians, they're so afraid. Oh, can Christians be possessed? Christian Moksanim, do you think Christian, Christians can be possessed? I heard that they can't because we have the Spirit of God you know, in us. And you know, the Spirit of God possesses us in that sense. So you know, Satan can't really possess us. All right? And there's this whole doctrinal teaching that Christians cannot 
be possessed. And when we think of possession, we're not thinking of Satan taking away our salvation. When we think of possession, what are we thinking? We're thinking exorcist. We're thinking, like, you know, talking in a different voice and losing control of our body. And so many Christians so afraid of being possessed by the enemy. You know, the answer is, by the way, yes, Christians can be possessed. And doctrinally, you might be like, well, you can't prove that. Well, I, I, you know, doctrinally, I think biblically you can. But, you know, you really can't and can very strongly. You can't argue for either side very strongly. You can use the Bible on both sides, I think. But when you've seen a Christian possessed, uh, it kind of like throws away all the arguments. <laughs> and you see them possessed again and again and again. And you're helping people who are possessed all the time. And they're not non-believers. They're Christians. They're Christians. Bonafide Christians. Leaders in the church even. Right? But, but the, the reason I mentioned this <laughs> is not to scare you by telling you you can be possessed by the enemy. The enemy. What I'm telling you is... <clears throat> Where, where so many Christians get scared of being possessed by the devil, we're supposed to put the devil to flight and make him grip with fear because we're supposed to possess the gates of his enemies. We're supposed to possess his gates. We're supposed to be making him scared, not the other way around. I am that so frustrating. That is just so frustrating. That Satan has taken that word and it makes us like so scared. Possess? Whoa, what do you mean possess? Next time somebody says, possess, you say, I'm, I'm going to possess the gate of my enemies. That's the only possession I know. I'm not worried about them all, that crazy demon possession, because hallelujah, I'm living my life right with the word of God, and I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm set free, I'm going to go set others free. Amen. It's got to be the attitude. That's the attitude of the army, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, Paul in the Bible, he lived under the military rule of the Roman Empire, and he knew the spiritual battle because, you know, he was at the front lines. He was planting churches. Anyone who plants churches, you got to give them mad props because they're not just doing plant church planting. Believe me, they're doing heavy warfare. You cannot be successful at church planting without going through heavy warfare. Hallelujah. And, and Paul, being in this setting, he used military imagery when he communicated with the church. Along with athletics, architecture, and anatomy, the army was Paul's, is probably Paul's favorite imagery because he uses it over and over. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul expounds on Satan as an army with hierarchies and God giving the church equipment to defend and even attack the hierarchies, the armies of Satan. In Romans 13, 11 through 13, the image of spiritual armor is used. It's used again in 2 Corinthians 6-7. It's used again in 2 Corinthians 10. It's used again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If anybody was obsessed with this imagery of the army of God, it was the Apostle Paul. A man that we ought to highly respect for all the things that he's done for the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, this armor of God that Paul mentions, God expects us to literally wear this armor by faith each day. And, and that's what Brother Michael taught me. You know what? Well, even sometimes when I forget, when I'm on somewhere like a missions field, oh, I, I put on that armor. I go to the bathroom, I put it on. I'm like Superman. I go inside a telephone booth. I come out. You might not see it, but it's all over me. Hallelujah. And enemies are like, how come Christians never get discouraged during the mission trip? Yeah, because I got some armor on, son. You're, you're running around naked. I got this armor on. Hallelujah. You gotta put on the armor. Like literally, you gotta go in there and put it on by faith. I put on the helmet of salvation. Man, you, you, if you're gonna do one thing, at least put on your helmet. Alright? Cause when you don't got the helmet of salvation, Satan messes people up. Man, if he gets to questioning your salvation, man, he'll mess you up. Warrior words be said, all believers are soldiers in God's army, whether they know it or not, and whether they like it or not. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Whether they act like it or not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Like it or not, it's for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you missed it in Paul's letters, just look in the book of Revelation. The image of warfare is very vivid there as well. If you look in Revelation 13, 7, the Bible says that Satan was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Well, that's 
Crazy verse right there. Why on earth will God give Satan power to make war against the church? Against the saints, against the church. I mean, if, if Satan is given power to make war against the church, then what is the church supposed to do? Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, are we supposed to just smile and serve as a punching bag? That's what a lot of church people do. You see, God gives Satan power to make war against the church because God is wanting to use that to raise up the church as a mighty army. Hallelujah. That will make war back on Satan and expand his kingdom. God's people are a triumphal people. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. Hallelujah. Usually when an army wins a mighty battle, they come back in a big parade. You ever, you ever, you ever see World Series? When the Phillies won the World Series, you know what they did? They had a big parade through the whole city. There's a street in, in Philly called Broad Street. It's like the straightest, longest street in, in the world, I think. Hallelujah. And they just did a parade. Hallelujah. And whenever an army wins a mighty battle, they just parade. It's a procession. And who's at, the, who's at the beginning? Who's at the front of the procession? It's Christ. If we will follow him into the battles, he will give us the victory every single time. <clears throat> and there's a lot of practical aspects that will benefit the church if we will only take the attitude of a soldier. You see, when, when you take the attitude of a good soldier, it's got powerful effects on the church that really loose them to their God-given purpose. You see, good soldiers are willing to go a little while without comfort and security. But you know what? One thing that just paralyzes the church today is just comfort and complacency. If they feel like their, their jobs, their families are threatened, it paralyzes them from obeying the, the will of God for their lives. God says, go there. I can't. My job's not secure. Can, can, you, can you go over here and serve there? No, I can't. The economy's there's an economic crisis right now, Lord. Wait until the economic crisis is over. You see, why, why do people respond that way to God? Why? Because they don't have the attitude of a soldier. You see, if you got if you got the attitude of a shoulder, man, you're willing to chum up. You're chum up. You will you will you will chum up. Hallelujah. That's a Korean word for like your 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 endure. You persevere. Man, sometimes I go on missions, all I see people do is just grumble, grumble, grumble. That's because they don't have the attitude of a soldier. They think because they're giving up vacation days that somehow missions is some kind of vacation makeup for them. Wrong. If you give up vacation days, hallelujah, to go on missions, guess what? Get ready to pay the price. Because you're not only going to pay the price for your vacation days, you're also going to pay the price when you get on the field. Your reward will be in different forms. It won't be on the missions field, hallelujah. I mean, it may be in different forms, but, you know, it ain't a vacation. And, but if, you ever, if you've ever been to war, or imagine yourself that you're in the middle of a war, and you're in the platoon, you're in, you're in the trenches, and you begin complaining like that, guess what your fellow soldiers will think about you? You little chump. Guess what your family members back at home will think about you? What a disgraceful soldier. What about your superiors? What would they think about you? Man, I can't wait till this guy's tour, tour duty's done. They don't want to work with you. And my sisters, we got to take the attitude of an army. Because sometimes God will call us to endure, to chama, to get through some stuff that's not going to make you feel comfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to last forever. But God will bring you through it. Hallelujah. If you got the attitude of a soldier, you will get right through it. <clears throat> if you have an attitude of an army, the army tends to engage in fights with the enemy, not with each other. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, the church, when they don't have the attitude of an army, they just bicker and fight and gossip with each other. And that becomes the main event. And that's sad. That's really sad. But when you got the attitude of an army and you get into a conflict, a little fight with somebody, you get, you know, you bump elbows with somebody, 
You have the attitude of the army. You say, hey, hey, brother. Um, I just want to say that, you know, what you said the other day, it kind of hurt. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like, I felt like you were disrespecting me. And I, I just need, I need you to know that. But you know what? At the same time, you know what? We're out there. We need to fight the enemy, not each other. So you know what? Um, I just want to say I love you and, and, and I forgive you. <laughs> Other brother's like, you know what, man? You know what? I'm sorry about that, man. I, I was, I was going through some stuff and, you know, you know, you know what? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah? Yeah, you forgive, uh, yeah, alright, you, yeah, man, I, I forgive you, man, completely, man, alright, good, good, good. Alright, let's get the enemy, alright, hallelujah, alright. You know, that's the way it should be. When you got the attitude of an army, you know where the real fight's at. <laughs> hallelujah. Now that we talked about how the church is an army, and how God is raising up that army, let's talk about training this army. I'm going to give you some word, good word here. Training the army. Psalm 144, our original verse, said, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. <coughs> Let me say it again. God wants to train your hands for war. Let me say that again. God wants to train your hands for war. You know, in the Bible, even when Gideon was a little wimp, God came to him by the angel of the Lord and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know, before you become a mighty warrior, God calls you a mighty warrior already. Because God is a God who calls things that are not as though they were. He doesn't say, you wimp, I'm going to make you a mighty warrior. Now, he just comes to you and says, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And that's, that's what God's saying over each of you tonight. God's calling you a mighty warrior. And God wants to train your hands for war. And you know what? Praise God. He doesn't want to just train your hands. He wants to train your fingers as well. What an amazing spiritual truth right there. The richness of God's wisdom. He doesn't want you to just teach you to, to just know how to fight. He wants you to be precise in how you fight. That's why he's going to train also your fingers. Praise the Lord. Now, let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it training hands. All right? How will God train your hands for war? Turn to Psalm 149 verse 6. Psalm 149, verse 6. <coughs> How will God train your hands for war? Hallelujah. If this is blessing you, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. Psalm 149, verse 6. It says, Let the high praises of God be in their throats. Or in the NIV, King James, NASB, I like it better. It says mouth. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. And a two-edged sword in their hands. I like double-edged better. Right? It flows better. Right? ESV doesn't flow all the time. Uh, man, man. But anyway, we love the ESV. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. And a double-edged sword in their hands. Hallelujah. Double-edged swords in their hands. You know, the first way God will train your hands for war is by training your mouth. To be filled with praise. The first way God will train your hands for war. Is by training your mouth to be filled with praise. You know most of the time our mouth is not filled with praise. It's filled with grumbling. Gossip. Idle talk. And before a mighty warrior trains his hands. He must train his mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with having a big mouth as long as that big mouth is filled with praises. Right? And then according to this verse, there are praises and then there are high praises. Oh, hallelujah. That's a spiritual truth right there. You know, there are certain people that worship God with praises. And then there are others who give God high praises. You see, it's like, it's like a whole new spiritual level. When you can give God high praises. That's why Brother Michael, when he was here, he would say, Lord, <coughs> says in your word that you are a king. But not just any king, but a mighty king. Hallelujah. And he kept doing that. And I was like, Brother Michael, why do you keep doing that? But the more he did that, the more I was seeing the spirit realm. Like I would see like this lifting every time he did that. Not just a king, but a mighty king. And I would lift my eyes and I would, I'd be able to Im- imagine how mighty our king really is. He's not just any king. 
He's a mighty king. That's high praise. That's high praise. When you can get those kind of little details and really focus and exalt God with them. This is why people sing, Your name be lifted up. Your, you, be exalted, O Lord, most high. They don't want just God to be just exalted. They want Him to be exalted to the highest place. This is why people lift their hands. Because they don't want just the praise right here. They want the praise not here. They don't want it over there. They want it high as possible. Like John Michael high. Lord, I want to praise you with my hands lifted as high as possible and close to John Michael's. <laughs> and some people will be like, man, why do you shout hallelujah all the time? Why do you always shout hallelujah, man? A, man why? Well, you know, like... um. Um, Aaron's uh, cousin, one of Aaron's cousins, she's married to a pastor in New York City, and she listened to my podcast, and she was like, "Why does why does Christian always say hallelujah all the time?" And then and then her husband actually defended me. It was like, "Well, maybe he just wants to praise God. That's how Pentecostal preachers do it, you know." I'm not a Pentecostal preacher, but hallelujah, you know, I've learned stuff from them. But why do I shout hallelujah all the time? Why? Because you can just say hallelujah, and that's praise. But when you go hallelujah, that's high praise. I mean, somehow the sh- <coughs> not during my message, hallelujah. Now somehow, somehow the shout, <laughs> not when I'm when I'm flowing, hallelujah. Don't cut the flow. Don't cut the flow. Somehow the shout reaches heaven in, in a in a way that God that pleases God. I'm telling you, it pleases God. You know, people people just say hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah. God's like, oh yeah, I'm pleased with that. And then over here, hallelujah. Oh ha, I like that right there. That's the high praise. That's the high praise. You gotta learn about the high praise, brothers and sisters. And Jehoshaphat and his army, they knew all about the high praise. Because when they went out with the odds stacked against them, they had to go out against this crazy millions and millions of soldiers. And they, they had a fairly small army. As they went to the battle, you know what they did? They put all the singers and the dancers in front of the army. And what Jehoshaphat did that day, God is teaching us a spiritual truth for the church. If you want to be victorious, you got to know how to lift up high praises to God at all times. And even when Israel will go out to battle, if the worship in the tabernacle was not right, they would go out and be defeated. You see, brothers and sisters, we are an army. And at the front that leads the way, those who lead the way are those who are worshiping. And every warrior in this army needs to learn how to be a worshiping warrior indeed. If you don't know about worship, you don't know about praise, brothers and sisters, you will not last long in the army of God. You know, most of us come to church to worship. Mighty warriors come to church worshiping. They're always lifting to God the sacrifice of praise. Brothers and sisters, there is no substitute for a life of praise and worship. There is no substitute for a life of praise and worship. You think about David in the Old Testament victorious, victorious over and over again. Such victories he experienced on the battlefield. But if you look at his private life, what was he doing? Sharpening his sword all the time? No. He took out his harp and he was praising the Lord. You see, what you see in the Psalms is the secret to David's success on the battlefield. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, how did he have such victory on the church plants? To Gentiles, People who never heard the gospel. How would he plant churches over and over and over? How could he be so victorious on the battlefield? Just look at his private praise and worship life. You know who, where it gives you a hint of it? When he was imprisoned. When he was prisoned, he was whipped across his back, bleeding. They didn't give him no band-aids. They didn't give him nothing. It was, they, on top of that, he was whipped up weak and they still shackled him. <coughs> And guess what Paul and his companion, guess what they did? 
They were singing praises to God. That is a warrior right there. Oh, that's a warrior right there. People are like, man, you, you, hey, hey, dude, you are crazy, man. What are you doing? Oh, that's some good music, actually. Yeah, keep singing that. <laughs> that's some good stuff. Yeah, keep singing, man. Keep singing. I like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. So number one, first way you train your hands for war is by training your mouth to be filled with praise. The Bible says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Be like Hewan and just always sing a melody in your heart. I'm telling you, man, that anointing, that, that, that victory anointing is all over her. <laughs> Number two, second way God will train your hands for war is by training your mind to be filled with his word. First, he trains your mouth to be filled with praise. Second, he trains your mind to be filled with his word. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any t- double-edged sword. The double-edged sword that's talked about here in Psalm 149 is the word of God. It's the word of God. <laughs> and by the, by the way, just in case you didn't figure it out, a sword is not used in the kitchen. Okay, It's used in war. All right. And so when the psalmist talks about let the high praises of God be in their mouth and double-edged swords in their hands, it's talking about the word of God. Right? You like you literally having this double-edged sword in your hand will do nothing. This is not what the psalmist is talking about. But you studying, meditating, memorizing the word of God and it's filled here in your mind. Although there may be nothing physically in your hand, oh, there's a swords right there. Not just one, there's just swords. It says swords. Hallelujah. Double-edged swords. Hallelujah. They're all over. I mean, they're, they're, they're all, they're strapped across your waist. I mean, they're, they're ready for you to just take it out. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's keep going. Third way. God will train your hands for war. Third way God will train your hands for war is by training your mouth to speak the word of God. This is no different than my first point. One, you, you can't, you see, you can't speak the word of God before you fill your mind with the word of God. See, if it's not really up here, alright, if it's not really in your mind, you, when you recite scripture, it's gonna be more out of superstition. And the enemy knows that. He can discern. When there's faith or when there's a superstition. Right? So you gotta get it in your mind. You gotta get filled with your mind. And once it's filling your mind, the third way God trains your hands for war is to speak it out of your mouth. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, the conventional way in which we think of speaking the word of God, we think of evangelism, preaching, teaching. You know? Speak the word of God. You know? And these things are very important. But when you're ministering to somebody one-on-one, you don't want to preach a sermon or teach a lesson all of a sudden. You got to learn how to wield, take out the seal sword and wield that sword and cut that person loose from lies, bondage, tormenting spirits. Hallelujah. It's not the time for you to be like, oh, let me take out my Bible study and let me see if I can help you. All right. If you're a mighty warrior on that spot, you should be Able to take out the sword, the, the Bible verses that you know how to break somebody out of unforgiveness. You bring it out right there. You say, hey, let's look at parable of the unmerciful servant. And then you have a few other Bible verses memorized. And then you say, you know what? Are you ready to forgive? All right, you take your step. I'm going to lead you in the prayer to forgive. Are right, you pr- forgive? You're done? Okay. Now I'm going to speak over you to break this forgiveness, spirit of unforgiveness off of your life. And then you speak the word of God out. And then you set them free. If you, if you skip that step, and you just go, oh, well, they've forgiven them. Okay, they'll be all right from now on. Guess what? Those tormenting spirits are going to get right back in. And they're going to start to think, well, maybe I didn't forgive them. Or, or it, will, it, will, it will be a disillusionment may get in there and say, oh, nothing happened. This doesn't work. Right? And if you will take that step to break them, hallelujah, and you know how to speak the word of God, use that sword and cut them loose, hallelujah, oftentimes... There'll be drastic different results. There'll be drastically different results. 
<coughs> Hallelujah. Let me, let me read a little excerpt from this, this book called Prayers That Route Demons. It says, Confessing the Word of God is an important part of every believer's spiritual life. Christianity is called the Great Confession. Salvation comes from confessing with our mouth. The mouth is connected to the heart. The word of God released from your mouth will be planted in your heart. Faith is released from the mouth. The mouth can only release what is in the heart. Faith in the heart that is released through the mouth can move mountains. Do you believe this, brothers and sisters? (coughs) We got to learn more and more about warfare prayers. Stuff that Brother Michael was doing when he was here. We got to learn what that's about. And I, and, I, and I realized that when he was here, that I wasn't teaching really you guys how to do warfare prayers. <coughs> you know, sometimes uh, you have the person you want to pray for in front of you. But, some, but even if you don't, you can pray and your prayers will transcend time and space and have incredible impact right from your prayer closet. And if you're prayed up for somebody in advance and you go and pray for them in person, you will have loose the chains enough that you can break them when you're there in person. Hallelujah. Depending on the bondage and the depth of that bondage. Hallelujah. Now, most of us, we don't know how to wield the double-edged sword. We don't know how to use it. Some of us may have it in our hands, in our minds, but most of us don't know how to actually swing it against the enemy. You know, some of us, man, we just take it out and we just start swinging. We just swing it into the air like, get away from me, Satan! Ah, no! And you just, you just like, you just, you just like recite scripture and just, you swing the sword around and you beat the air. All the while Satan's over there scoffing and laughing at you. Brothers and sisters, we got to learn the ways of the warrior. We got to really learn how to train our hands for war. The best way, I think, to kind of learn how to do these things, you know, <coughs> is just to watch and to do. You know, the best way, uh, I forget who said this, but the best way to preach is just to watch somebody preach. That's the best way to learn how to preach. The best way to evangelize is just watch somebody evangelize. <coughs> I remember when I used to go out on mission trips with Campus Crusade students, I would go out there and I'd be like, do you want to go first? They'd be like, no, I said, you go first. I'd be like, all right, I'll go first. And I go first, and I'll get such on fire, I'll like share with like four people. And I'll be like, all right, now it's your turn. And a student, like without fail, almost every single time, these students will go out, and they will copy all my lines. <laughs> I'm like, can I ask you an interesting question? If you die tonight. And I'll be like, hey, that's what I just said. And they'll even use my jokes. I'll be like, what are you doing? Be a little original, all right? But what I realized is the best way to evangelize is just to watch somebody evangelize. Well, the best way to learn how to warfare in prayer and learn how to set people free when you minister to them is just to watch and to learn. Okay, So I want you to take this podcast, fast forward it to this part, and just listen to it again and again until you're confident enough to try it out. So what I'm going to do is... uh, I'm going to read some prayers from this book called Prayers That Route Demons. Now, uh, there's some background to this. So, you know, you've you got to really have the faith. Uh, <coughs> well, I'll mention this later. Um, let me just read some of the prayers first. All right. So, here's some prayers, right? Number one, Isaiah 54:17. I do this all the time. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against me in judgment I condemn. If you ever get attacked, just recite that verse, just like that. And just take hold of it and then swing it against the enemy. Weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Sometimes you just, before you even pray a prayer, you need to stand on a verse like that. Uh, Here's another one. I take the shield of faith and I quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Hallelujah. Here's another one. Luke 10, 19. I tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt me. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 1, 7. I do not have the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You guys know that one. 
Ephesians 1.3. This is a real good one. Real good one. If you can tap into this, your authority is going to grow. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, do you know where Christ Jesus is seated right now? On a throne. When a king is seated on a throne, you know, traditionally in history, when a king is seated on a throne, what does he do? He decrees laws. He says it and it's done. Well, if you can focus on Jesus being on that throne and you identify being seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ, your prayers will have a lot more authority. Here's another one. My hand is upon the neck of my enemies. Alright. Job twenty two twenty eight, real powerful. This is for those who are at this kind of spiritual authority level. Job twenty two twenty eight. I shall decree a thing and it shall be established in my life. Hallelujah. I shall decree a thing and it shall be established in my life. That's some powerful. That's right there. That's powerful. <coughs> Let me share with you some, some prayers that are prepare you to engage the enemy. I cover myself, my family, and my possessions with the blood of Jesus. Another one. Let the angel of the Lord encamp around me and protect me. Hallelujah. You call on those angels sometimes. Because these angels will help you. Proverbs 18.10. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. I run into it and I am safe. Psalm 17.8. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wings. Hallelujah. Exodus 15.16. Let fear and dread fall upon the enemy by the greatness of your arm until I pass over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matthew 10.1 I release the power and authority of the Lord against all demons I encounter in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's get to some real battle line ones. Right? Here's some ways to confront the enemy right on the battlefield. I quench every fiery dart of jealousy, envy, anger, bitterness, and rage Sent against my life in the name of Jesus. So if sometimes during the day you just feel like this fiery dart trying to get on you. Fear, envy, anger, jealousy, bitterness. Alright, just pray this prayer. I quench every fiery dart of bitterness sent against my life in the name of Jesus. And then be done with it. Here's another one. I quench all gossip directed against my life in the name of Jesus. You know, if you pray this prayer and you really take claim of it. I mean, peep, God will shut the mouths of all your gossiping friends. All of a sudden, they'll stop talking about you. Hallelujah. A lot of times, what do we do when we hear gossip? Oh, why are you talking about me? That's not what a soldier does. That's not a, that's not a warrior, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Get up on your feet and pray that prayer. Here's another one. I am the seed of blessing, and his blessing is mine. Okay, the reason you want to talk about blessing is because on the other side are curses. You can have either or, but you can't be in the middle. You're either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. Hallelujah. I break all curses of witchcraft, sorcery, and divination in the name of Jesus. So if you, if you feel like one of these attacks are aimed against you, you might want to keep praying this prayer. I break and release myself from all curses of pride and rebellion in the name of Jesus. You know, some people, man, they have a curse of pride and rebellion on their life. And you have to literally break that off of you before you see results. You can pursue humility with all your heart. But unless this curse is broken off of you, you're not going to be flowing that humility. I break and rebuke all curses of sickness and infirmity in the name of Jesus. Now certain chronic, passed down genetic illnesses, they have a spiritual root. It's a curse. A lot of mental illnesses, they're often curses. Somebody's got to stand up and break them off, their, off, off of your life. I break and release myself from all curses of poverty, lack, and debt in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. These are powerful prayers, my sisters. I break and release myself from all curses of lust and perversion in the name of Jesus. I break and release myself from all curses causing accidents and premature death 
in the name of Jesus. You know, some people talk to me about premature death in their family, and you know, you know, that's not like I talk to the Kennedys or anything like that. But you know what? What the Kennedys experience, people experience in the real world. And they come up to me and they say, "Well, you know, I've seen this in my family, and I think God may be calling me to have an early death." And I'll be like, "No, God is not calling you to have an early death." The Bible says, "With long life, you will satisfy me." The only early death that you may experience is the gift of martyrdom. That's only if God has strengthened and called you to that. This is a curse from the devil. You need to break that off your life. Premature death. That's a curse of the devil. Hallelujah. I lose, I like this one. I lose confusion against every satanic and demonic conspiracy against my life. Hallelujah. That's what, that's what God does. And a lot of times in these army scenarios in the Old Testament, when they went into fight, guess what happened? The army started fighting each other. Why? Because God loosed confusion there. And they just start slaying each other. Well, God can do the same thing for you today. You know, you go to Cambodia. Let's go, you go into one city. And there's all this distraction. And the enemy's attacks are intense there. And then your pastor can't even finish his sermon because he's getting a headache. Well, the next town you go into, pray this prayer. I lose confusion against every satanic and demonic conspiracy against this team in the next town. Amen. Pray that and believe it. And go in there and you'll see different results. Hallelujah. I bind and rebuke every spirit of Sambalat and Tobiah in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you don't know what that is, just look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to read a couple more. <clears throat> Through Jesus, let me possess the gate of my enemies. Hallelujah. Establish the gates of praise in my life. Let the gates of my life and city be open to the King of glory. Hallelujah. That's a mighty prayer to pray. You want Jesus to come into your life in greater measure? You got to pray that those gates, those gates of selfishness, gates of flesh, gates of laziness, gates of whatever it is, those gates need to be lifted up so that the King of glory can come in. And the... Let's close with this. I loose myself from every assignment of witchcraft, sorcery, and divination. Hallelujah. I know that sounded like a, uh, one we read previous, but praise the Lord. I just want to read it again. It's another one. I loose myself from every spoken curse and negative word spoken against my life. You know, sometimes words, they have an entity of themselves. Somebody can speak a negative word into you, like to you. And years later, it's still affecting you negatively. That's because words have power. And words can take on an entity of themselves. And when that happens, you need to use words to cast down those judgments and those curses off your life. Come on, warriors of God. Are you understanding this? Amen? And you know what? These ain't religious prayers that begin to work when you just recite them. These are for anointed, spirit-filled believers that are wanting to be warriors to expand the kingdom of God. If you have the attitude of a warrior, hallelujah, and you have the faith to go with it, when you, when you speak forth these prayers, they're going to have powerful effects. So brothers and sisters, I, I want to encourage you. Go on YouTube. All right, get, get, take notes when you watch Brother Michael. Right? Take notes when you read a book. And next time you go and pray for somebody, use it. Use it. Learn how to warfare in prayer and use the sword, the double-edged sword to set people free. And along with all these things, make sure that you're balancing it with humility and bonus. They're not at odds with each other. You need to have humility and bonus if you're going to continue serving in the army of God. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the Lord taught David to how to war and he will also teach you. Just depend on him. And you will learn through experience and sometimes you will learn through failure as well. Just, but just remain in him, the greatest warrior ever. And he will teach and equip you. Equip your hands to be a mighty warrior. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we just praise you and we just thank you, God. It says in your word in Isaiah 42 that the Lord will march out like a mighty warrior. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal 
With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Lord, will you march out before us in every campaign, every work that this church is involved with, oh God. And will you stir up your passion, your fire, your zeal in the hearts of your people, God. And with your shout, will you raise the battle cry and give us triumph and victory over our enemies. That we may indeed possess the gates of our enemies, Lord. And we will give you the glory as we see your victory being accomplished through us. Raise up your army, Lord. Raise up your army here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.